All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Got your Money Wise guys back inside the Money Wise studio with me for this weekend show. I have my brother Jeff, Joe Rust, and I'm your host, Kyle Davidson. For any new listeners to the Money Wise program, Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. We're in our 33rd year of business, and with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi, we have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from you Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. Well, as we kick off every weekend's Money Wise program, I turn it over to my brother, Jeff, to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. So, Jeff, take it away. Okay, in the week just passed, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is up 1,448 points, or 4.9%. The S&P 500 last week was up about 170 points, or 4.7%. And the NASDAQ last week was up about 538 points, or 5.2%. Now, for the year to date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is down 14.5%. The S&P 500 year-to-date is down 21.3%. And the NASDAQ year-to-date is down 30.6%. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. So we had, I mean, we had a little bit of attack of the Fridays once again with a big, big up Friday with Dow being up close to 800 points, 2% gains across the board plus. Uh, very good week. The biggest question on all of our listeners' minds, will it hold? Now, I, I can already answer Jeff. I can already answer for Jeff. Oh, don't speak for him. That makes great radio. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you got to. Okay. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I know Jeff's answer, well, but go ahead, Jeff. Well, one of the reasons, well, the, Friday was a was a triple witching option, options expiration, which it can was. which can be volatile and, and could ex- – magnify moves either on the upside or downside. So I think that was part of what's happening on Friday. But typically what we've been seeing here of late when we have these big up days, is there someone in the Fed Gov in the Federal Reserve universe says something. If it's positive, meaning it sounds like it's going to be dovish or maybe we're not going to go 75 basis points at the next meeting or maybe we're getting near the quote-unquote pivot, which is the new Wall Street buzzword, pivot, 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 then the markets have this big up day. Well, that's what happened on Friday. A non-voting Federal Reserve governor said, some po- some com- made some comments that the market interpreted as dovish, and that added to uh, the gains on on Friday. The shorts come in and cover, 
because oh heck, we don't we don't want to run into a situation where well the you know we're we're banking on the Fed raising rates seventy five basis points on the next two meetings all the way through the end of twenty twenty two. So we, we got all of our shorts on. That's the that's the hot money, and they hear a whiff of anything that may change that narrative, and shazam, they come in and cover, and you have these wild updates. Now, how many times have we seen this since June? Too many. (laughs) Many, many, many times. Yeah, Joe. Well, the only ray of sunlight, if you'll you'll take it, is earnings have been actually a little bit better than expected. So you have the backdrop of earnings not being as negative, not as bad as everybody forecasted. Now it's case by case and stock by stock. but and we're getting and, and, and that's a very good point, Joe. And and you're absolutely right. Earnings have definitely been coming in better than expectations. Although we're getting to the real juicy meat of earnings next week, where we're gonna have a lot of the big tech names. Exactly. Uh, all all we've had so far is a is is maybe a little bit of baked potato. Next week we got T Bone Tomahawk. No, the Tomahawk steak's coming out. Yeah. We got a it's, big old steak coming out next week. I think we have three of the five big cap techs, and I'm not even sure we can put Meta in that category anymore with as much money as it's down this year. I mean, we've got Microsoft coming out. We've got Apple coming Mm -hmm. out next week. Uh, Let's see. We have... Alphabet, which is Google, is coming out next week. Yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, Meta, the, the the company formerly known as Facebook, um, I, I think it's become more of a value play. I think uh, Zuckerberg and the team or a have gone a, trap. a value trap. They've gone a little bit too deep in this um, metaverse. I think he read a, one too many science fiction books as a young boy, and he's spending <laughs> yes. tens I of have, billions of dollars yeah. on this. Well, I've already he, asked. I've already asked Santa to be sure and put the seventeen hundred and fifty dollar Meta goggles in my uh, stocking for Christmas. Not. Can you believe seventeen hundred and fifty dollars? What? Yeah, (laughs) he's got to recoup some of these billions that he's invested. So, yeah, I don't think Meta's earnings are going to be as important or as market moving as they were in the past after making this switch from Facebook to Meta and focusing so much on the metaverse. I mean, we know Snap earnings came out this past week, how this company is still in business. um, I'm just I'm completely dumbfounded Uh, when I heard the CEO say that he quit Stanford two weeks before he graduated and didn't take his last finals. I said to myself, I will never ever invest a single dollar into a company where a guy is so arrogant. He walks out on a two weeks before he graduates from Stanford with a degree. I just blew my mind. And just that arrogance alone has kept me away from that stock and all of our clients away from that stock. Well, and will, for the existence of time. I mean, you look at the social media stocks with Twitter, Facebook, Snap, Pinterest. I mean, the only one that kind of held its water this week was was uh, uh, Twitter, and I think it was down. I believe it was down Friday. I wouldn't. Well, they're all, bank, they're all banking on this uh, on the, yeah. the takeover and and well, the final are. whatever whatever that final price is going to be whenever Elon closes. Well, and I'm not getting they, into. 
into the well, weeds, but you look at TikTok, even even Zuckerberg was was talking about how TikTok and what they're doing is putting a dent in what his, his business model is. And he's got to all of a sudden he's got to adjust. So, I mean, my take is it may not be Fang anymore. We talked about it earlier this year. It could be Mang, Microsoft, Apple. Well, NVIDIA and eh, NVIDIA. Google. No, I no, no, like because no, no, no. But, yeah, yeah, NVIDIA long term, Joe, is is a great, great stock because because of the AI, artificial yeah. intelligence, and the technology that they're developing from a chip side when it comes to artificial intelligence. So, but, but you're you know, seeing a rotation from some of these high PE stocks. That's right. Well, we got to get the Fed to stop so we can get it all repriced. Yeah. Well, let's take our first commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys, will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at one 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning into this weekend's MoneyWise program, just recapping the happenings of Wall Street from last week with the Dow being up 4.9%, S&P up 4.7%, and the NASDAQ up 5.2%. Kind of the question I asked is, okay, have we found the investable bottom? And I will say for all of us, I don't think we're there just yet. Uh, Not to get into the technical weeds, I did some technical analysis for the entire year so far, and we're definitely still in a down channel as far as the market is concerned. And so I just don't think we're at that investable bottom yet. But the one thing I will say, and I've just been doing a lot of research and analysis, and I know that some old market technicians and some traders, they're looking for this kind of final capitulation and washout on the stock side where they need to see the VIX, which is a volatility gauge of the S&P 500. They have to see it above 40 or we have to see another 20% down move in the market before they feel that we get to this investable bottom. And I don't necessarily agree with that. And I know, Jeff, you and I talked about it a little bit Friday morning. I don't think you feel the same way either, that we have to see a tw- another 20% downside washout or a VIX over 40 to actually get to that investable bottom. Because... From what I was reading and just some of the studying is that we could have other things occur, particularly on the bond side, that could be kind of a bell ringing saying, all right, now it's now we're kind of here at the investable bottom. And it all really uh, revolves around getting the 10 year treasury to kind of peak on the interest rate side and start to and start to move down as a potential telltale sign that an investable bottom we've gotten close to or at. Well, so there's. More bond market indicators that the bottom is in for stocks is what I'm getting to, not just based on the VIX and what it's doing or having another 20% washout on the stock what side. Did, Friday, what did the 10-year, what was the peak of the 10-year yield? I thought well, it was the, the highest since 2007. I was it, it was. I mean, we closed Friday. The 10-year yield, the 10-year Treasury yield was 4.22, um, and we haven't seen yields like you know, like you said, Joe, we haven't seen yields that high since 2007. So it's it's been quite a few number of years. 
but we still have Fed meetings, and the Fed is still not done, regardless of what Mary Daly said on Friday that caused the market to have this big short-covering rally. The Fed still does have work to do, and we have to get more data coming down from CPI and core PCE, um, I would say, before we can finally see peaks in rates. So you said just a moment ago, Kyle, that you thought the, that the markets – I agree the markets will take a cue from what's happening uh, from the bond market in terms of yields, but being able to call a top in yields is going to be as difficult as trying to call a bottom in stocks. You'll know about it six months down the line. Uh, I have no idea. Based on what the Federal Reserve is saying at this point, and the story changes, as you well know, uh, they're they're planning on taking the Fed funds rate over four percent by the end of the year, which would indicate another hundred to one hundred and fifty basis points of of interest rate rises between now and the end of the year in terms of Fed funds, and that that will play into in, into all the other uh, maturity ranges. Yeah, one year, two year, five year, ten year, twenty year, thirty year. That's all going to be get figured into to those yields. Uh, will it be uh, basis point for basis point? No, it won't. It will not be as we have right now. Where the, the the yields in the the shorter maturity instruments are better than the yields on the longer maturity instruments. And we've been in this inversion. They call this, in, you know, they call that an inversion. We've been in this inversion uh, predicament for months now, and Nearly every uh, recession, if you don't think we're already in one, uh, has has been uh, preceded by an inverted yield curve of some period of time. And, you know, it's funny listening to these folks tell us that we're going to be in a recession in the third quarter of next year. Aren't we already in one? Technically, we are. Yes. It's like they've redefined what 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 a recession is cuz now it has to include all these different things not just two consecutive quarters of negative gdp growth could that now be politically could that include yeah come on that's got to include all these yeah come on man. Could, could, could could that be politically motivated by some shape or form hmm we'll be debating that for years to come but i mean that's so the, I, but but I, moving the goalposts going back to this this these folks need to see a VIX over 40 and all that. I don't recall in March of 2009 there being a high VIX on that day when the market just stopped going down. And I don't remember, I think it was uh, in 2002 when the bear market ended after the, the great dot-com run. I don't remember there being any high VIX number uh, that uh, preceded that market bottom. And I've had some concerns that this bear market could be similar to what we experienced at the beginning of this century, where it went on for a number of years. Um, I'm, but I, I would say from a probability point of view, I think it's less than a 25% chance that we're going to have that kind of bear market. I'm expecting it to be more of the quote unquote, average bear market that that we've talked about and we'll just based on the statistics i believe this is the 14th one if my memory serves me correctly going back to the great depression and the average length of time of the bear market is about 
somewhere between 15 and 18 months, which would put us in the second quarter of next year, thereabouts, is when it should end. I'm not saying that the, the economy is going to bottom. I'm just saying that the, the historic average bear market length is the, is the market is going to bottom and start heading back the other way before the economy does. And I don't think the Fed's going to be raising interest rates all the way to next summer. I, I don't see that at all. No, um, I don't. I don't think they can. I, I just don't think you I, I get away with it. I'm not sure if they're going to be able to get away with two, th- three quarter percent raises between now and the end of the year because of the uh, unintended consequences, uh, either the Japan or or Great Britain or you know mm-hmm. what are the other things going on behind the scenes uh, that that uh, if they were to do that could possibly break something. And then they well, have to immediately reverse course. And and then also talking about market history, I mean, history has also shown that the market typically two to three months prior to the Federal Reserve ending their interest rate increases or pivoting, because when we say pivot, we mean pause. When, we, when, when you hear the we word just, pivot and the financial entertainment price, it doesn't mean they're going to start cutting rates. It just means they're going to pause and circle the field. But history has shown that markets typically – tend to start recovering prior to the Fed pivoting or pausing their interest rate increases. So, well, well I would I would expand on the on the definition of a quote unquote Fed pivot at this point to also include a changing in the the rate at which they raise interest rates from 3 quarters of a percent to maybe a half percent or maybe a quarter percent at a meeting. That to me would also indicate a pivot. And, yeah, and, and the some markets can obviously react yeah, off of that. Yeah, the, yeah. the markets the markets will react off of that. Well, at Mary Daly's comments, at Mary Daly's comments on Friday that caused this big, you know, this big upswing in the market, it wasn't even about the Fed stopping ending or ending interest rate increases. It was maybe doing fifty, maybe doing twenty five basis points, a quarter of one percent increase come November, maybe fifty in December. So that. I'm glad you expanded on that pivot definition, Jeff, because she wasn't talking about stopping. It was just reducing the the size of the rate increases, and that what what caused this big uh, short covering rally on Friday. So we can see how quickly the markets you know can react to it. Um, but again, this is the handicapping that money managers across the country have been trying to do all year because this is a year that's been driven purely based on the Federal Reserve and their it monetary will be policy for the foreseeable future. It's right. It will be. But so far, as we said in the first segment, earnings that have come out so far, so far so good. Uh, I think it's come out better than expectations, as Joe had said. But as we said at the beginning of this segment, we're really going to be getting into kind of the tomahawk stake of earnings this coming week. And so the, we'll have a lot more data to the main, to the main course, if you will. Yeah, yeah, yeah the main it, course is coming. The companies that are reported so far, I'm sorry to say, are meaningless. They're meaningless. It's the companies next week that are going to mean something, in my opinion. Well, the, the companies that did pretty well, J.P. Morgan and some of the financial stock, they should be doing better because they're making money off of interest income. So. Yeah, as 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 you would expect, but some regional banks this past week really yeah. took it on the chin. Yeah, and they took it on the chin very very hard. So let's take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. 
Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi or San Antonio office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments, and don't forget to like the show. So I know we wanted to shift gears a little bit because this has been a very big topic, particularly in the Corpus Christi office. Uh, I know, Jeff, you've received lots of calls, lots of meetings with prospective clients, and it all is revolving around traditional pension lump sum payment calculations and how the higher interest rate environment that we're in, how it's negatively impacting the lump sum value of those pensions into the future. And just to kind of summarize for our listeners, the Pension Protection Act back in 2006 made some pretty significant changes on how lump sum pension payouts that can be rolled over into self-directed IRAs at retirement, how they were calculated. They took what used to be a simple calculation and made it much more complex. But the easiest way to keep it in your mind is the higher interest rates go, the bigger negative effect it has on the lump sum value of a traditional pension lump sum payment that can be rolled over into a self-directed IRA. And so several large corporations that we have very long and fantastic relationships with have provided this very traditional benefit because, you know, defined benefit plans were the way that people retired 30, 40, 50 years ago. This was before the invention of the 401k, which occurred through the Tax Relief Act of 1978. So now most employees have a 401k. They don't have a traditional pension. But there are still employees out there that work for very large corporations that have been there a very long time that are still participating in a traditional defined benefit plan or traditional pension. So this conversation we're having in this segment is really geared towards those folks. And the reason that we're having this conversation is if any of our listeners um, say we're considering retiring in say next year, that are eligible for this traditional pension benefit, it would be in your best interest to understand that there could be there will be substantial changes to the value in a negative way if you wait until next year to retire because your pension your lump sum pension value is going to be greatly reduced. It might motivate you to retire this year rather than waiting until next year. Now, everybody's situation is different, but information uh, is key, and you have to ask. You know, some of the some of the companies have been warning their employees in writing of there's going to be a substantial change to the value of your pension in 2023 due to changes in interest rates. I'm not sure that every company has been as forthcoming in notifying their employees uh, because I received a call from an employee this week who 
who was concerned that their pension might be affected by these changes in values, and he's and he didn't believe that he that they had con the company had contacted their employees, warning them about this. So if that's if, if that's one of our listeners, it would be in your best interest to start asking some questions because it might uh, move up uh, your your date of retirement because there could be substantial amount of money involved. Most of the folks that I've uh, talked to, uh, the change in value, the lump sum value of their pension, if they don't retire next year, uh, typically exceeds an entire year's salary, if not more. So in so, essence, so you're working talking... for the company, you know, it could be hundreds of thousands of dollars, mm-hmm. depending on how long you work for the organiz- you know, work for the company and how much you've accumulated in your pension. So there's not a lot of time left in this year. We have well, what little, over two and a half months left. So I, I would, if you think that you might be in this in this group of people, I would definitely arm yourself with some information now, so that you, so that you may not uh, surprise next year when you decide to retire and find out that your lump sum pension has uh, declined substantially in value. Yes, Joe. So I think what we're we're getting at is it's extremely important to do a portfolio review, but also understand. If you haven't done any type of retirement plan, now's the time to do it. I mean, you need to take your 401K. You need to take that into account, old IRAs. If you have investment property, which we have clients that have investment property, you need to take everything cumulatively, and that's why you need a professional to take a look at everything. I did one of these at the beginning of the year. And with the, with the individual that worked at a, at a well-known publicly traded company, and that was the conversation we had. I said the one thing that we know is rates are going to go up, and the value of your pension, your lump sum is going to go down. So you have to make a decision, and, but you need to look at all the data, and you look at where your your portfolio. And this particular individual happened to have a big chunk of his four hundred one k in a target date fund, which we know, looking at target date funds, how they've performed in this increasing interest rate environment, especially on the bond side. You got to have the whole picture. I should say how they've underperformed uh, because of the fixed right, income yeah. portion <laughs> of the portfolio, right. not ju- not just the stock side, but something else. And this is a topic that we've talked about on this program multiple times. I've done interviews on television about this, and you know, it was a topic of an interview I had here in San Antonio not too long ago. And this pertains also to a company-sponsored retirement plan, but not on the defined benefit of the pension side, but on the defined contribution, the 401k side. And again, kind of like years like we're having this year and these target date funds, which has target date funds were created years ago to try to simplify the tasks of active asset management. Because most participants in 401ks, they don't have the expertise, nor do they want to take the time to actively manage the asset allocation model that they have inside of their 401k as a participant. Plus, a lot of the investment menus for 401ks, no matter who creates the 401k and oversees it, the menus can be extremely limited. And so we've seen even going back before the financial crisis of 07, 08, 09, this just more and more of these target date funds showing up in 401ks. Well, one topic that the 401k provider is not going to be advertising to the plan participants is the ability for anyone over the age of 59 and a half to take an in-service 
distribution and roll those assets into a self-directed IRA that could be professionally managed, which would completely open up the door for you as a participant and the entire investment universe actually having a team of professional asset managers that are doing the day-to-day decision-making as a fiduciary when you're working with a registered investment advisor that is a fiduciary and has full discretionary control and manages the assets in-house and doesn't ship it off to somebody else to manage that you do not have a relationship with, 401k providers are not going to be advertising this. In fact, I've actually heard from clients that got herded into pre-retirement meetings that some advisors to the 401k plan did a retirement presentation but gave everyone the sense in the room that the only option you had was to roll your assets over with them and their team and that they were going to take care of you and kind of avoided the topic of, oh, by the way, you can roll these assets out to anyone you want to work with while still participating in the 401k, even if you're not ready to retire, as long as you're older or as long as you've reached age 59 and a half. And so I've gotten that question a lot, but 401k programs, 401k providers are not going to be advertising this because they don't want your assets to leave the plan. But years like this, this is, again, we've talked about it all throughout this year about investors becoming complacent. We had three years in a row of double-digit up returns in the S&P 500. And so investors got very complacent thinking that the market goes up every year. It's up double digits every year. We're making money hand over fist. We have an improper asset allocation for our risk capacity. I'm 80, 90, 100% stocks at 60 years old. We're just doing full send. I'm making all this money. And then we have years like this where the chickens come home to roost. And now you're trying to manage your 401k as a participant on your own. Or you're going to an anointed internal advisor that works with the 401k plan that's charging you 30, 40, 50 basis points to quote unquote manage your assets within the investment list provided in your 401k, which we've talked about on past shows. It's the common algorithm. This is your risk tolerance. Here's the menu static, set it and forget it with no active management. And so 401k participants across this country are looking at the destruction of the value in their 401k that's possibly pushing their retirement dates out even further than they anticipated at the beginning of this year because of the lack of oversight and management and the lack of investment options available inside the 401k. So just remember, you can do that in-service distribution rollover at age 59 and a half, and don't let anyone inside your 401k plan tell you different because this is a standard feature in a prototype 401k plan. I wonder how many lawsuits are going to be filed here in the next year over 401k plans that didn't keep their eye on the ball for their participants. Uh, well, I mean, Jeff, Fidelity <laughs> employees has sued their employer, Fidelity, because of their Fidelity 401k. There's actual active lawsuits going on right now of their own employees suing the, their 401k provider that they actually work for. So, very good point. Well, let's take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys will be back after this. 
Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call at our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at one 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So in our last segment of the first hour of this weekend's MoneyWise program, last segment, critically important. Again, just to recap for anyone tuning in, if you have a traditional pension and you're close or think you're getting close to retirement, double check what your lump sum valuation is going to be for next year because higher interest rates negatively affect that value. And if you're 59 and a half years old or older participating in a 401k, you have that ability to do that in-service distribution rollover while you're still working for your employer and still participating in the plan but can actually have a team of professional money managers actually doing the day-to-day decisions on those assets to alleviate that concern. Uh, and again, this year is a classic example why complacency can really kill the value of a portfolio and why active asset management is so critical uh, in years, particularly years like this. So... I had a few economic numbers from the week just passed. Um, industrial production was the only thing that was positive. Housing starts were down. Existing home sales were down. The leading economic indicators uh, was also down. Um, it's now been down, I think, six of the last seven months. And that is definitely a, a precursor to a recession. And the question but is the, the question is the magnitude of the recession. That's that's the that's the question on everyone's mind is is the magnitude of it. Well, and, we all, and every single day, the pundits, us included, are are trying to figure out if you know stock A or stock B has got all the bad news figured into it. You know, is this the time to step in and buy stock A or stop stock B, and to me, given the fact that the Fed is still on the table and they are still out there, and I don't think the PCE number that's coming out next Friday uh, is going to show enough change to really change the narrative, as long as the narrative stays the same, we're going to have these 1,500 up point weeks because somebody says something that no one even knows who they are, and in, in the the shorts are on are on a knife's edge, and they come in and cover. And people, oh, well, there's the bottom. You know, then you have five people come out and try to call the bottom, and ninety nine percent of the time they're not right, and no we, one we, ever calls no one ever calls them out for the twenty other times they said that yeah you know, we were at a bottom. Uh, I, I, so think, I, th- I think we, it is it is very 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 difficult in an environment like this to uh, successfully try to call anything here. Handicapping is thrown out the window. There's just no way to handicap this. So what you have to do as an investor in an environment like this 
the waters are always murky, as we say, but they're they're they're, they're murky and they're still a hurricane. You know, the waters are really choppy and the water's murky. And it's going to be that way, in my opinion, until the Fed finally steps aside, does the quote-unquote pivot, but it doesn't appear that it's going to be on uh, on November the 5th, which I think is the, their next meeting right before November the midterm 2nd. elections. November, November 2nd, 2nd is, the, is the decision. But the one thing the Fed needs to do, though, Jeff, is they got to stop moving the goalposts because I feel like they've been moving the goalposts a little bit this year. If, if always they've, moving well, the goalposts. <laughs> well, but if they've always used core PCE as the inflation number, for them when it comes to making decisions on monetary policy then several months ago they've they've switched and they're paying more attention to the consumer price index the CPI because that's what we all feel as consumers each and every day going grocery shopping going to fill up our vehicles shopping doing anything as far as spending money services goods what have you i i as, as I did that calculation on last weekend's show about how the CPI, the year-over-year comparisons, if we hold the CPI cost of the basket of goods in and around where it was at the end of September, that number is going to start falling dramatically each and every month that goes by. I don't want the Fed to shift the goalposts and say, okay, well, now we're not going to pay attention to the year-over-year growth or the year-over-year CPI number. Now we're going to be looking at month-over-month. And they're just going to get more and more, you know, minute in their analysis from a monetary policy decision standpoint. I just feel that they need to stop moving the goalpost. You know, if you were always looking at the core PCE, stick to it. And where did you come up with this 2% mandate? Because core PCE, the long-term average is 3.22%. So why is the Fed's mandate not 3? Why is it 2? Where did they pull this number out of the air? We've talked about that months ago on this show, that they need to change that mandate to 3. Get it well, off this 2%. explain why it's going to be 2. I mean, we need... Thank you. That's right, at, Joe. Listen to the 10 or 13 year period, which were below, which were, were, were inflation, it, it was excessively low and interest rates are excessively low and i don't know i, I don't where'd you come up with two no you're right joe where did you come up with two give us an explanation well, there's, because there's, that's not what the long-term stats are telling me it should be at there's going to be a point where they're, they're going to stop they're going to say something nice and the markets will rally <laughs> on that you got to give us a break oh, the, yeah they'll give us a break yeah thank you <laughs> but, but then it's going to get back to okay well what's happening with earnings what's happening with economic growth What's happening with all these other variables is all of the the fallout from all of these interest rate changes, these interest rate increases, been adequately figured into the price of stocks at that moment in time. That's, I think you know, that's a big that's a big question mark there. If if it's going to be the end of this year when they quote unquote pivot, all right. So where where are we going to be at in terms of earnings, PEs, and all that? I heard a pundit say this week, and I know we're running short on time, so I want to make this quick. And I, I think I, I'm kind. I would say that I, I kind of, I agree with this person. You can call. A, a, you know, there's an investable bottom when the when the five or four or three stocks that are the vast majority of the S and P 500 has their real day in the barrel, and we're going to get their earnings next week. The big big three. We're going to get their earnings next week, and they've got to justify these above 20 PEs. 
And I'm just not so sure that their earnings are going to be good enough or their outlook's going to be good enough to justify plus 20 PEs. And there could be some trouble in those stocks that's going to bring down the market as a whole. And this 1,400-point gain may go bye-bye a week from today if those earnings, if, if the market doesn't interpret those earnings to be good enough. Well, and we'll have a lot more data to chew on for next weekend's show because we are getting into the absolute meat of earnings next week. So stay tuned and we'll do all that analysis on next weekend's show. But we are coming up at the top of the hour break. So we're going to take the break, go into the news. When we come back, we'll be diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program and continuing with investor education. So stay tuned. We'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the news. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget to subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast on Apple Podcasts, where you can like the show and leave us a comment. So as we're diving into this second hour of this weekend's MoneyWise program, shifting gears into investor education is like we like to dedicate the second hours of every weekend's program going in and really pulling the curtain back and trying to educate investors uh, all across this state and anyone who's listening to our podcast and our terrestrial radio show and was thinking about some topics from an educational standpoint and, and wanted, I came up with a title and I alluded to it just a little bit, but I wanted to talk about in this second hour of the things that Wall Street won't tell you. Now to give a little bit of history of Davidson Capital Management, why our father started our firm back in 1989, is he wanted to pull the curtain back on Wall Street. Pull the curtain back, bring integrity, honesty, ethics, transparency into the investor-advisor relationship. And in all of our years of business and all the hundreds upon hundreds and hundreds of portfolios portfolio reviews we have done, we have come to just notice a very ongoing consistent theme when we do these portfolio reviews. And we're doing portfolio reviews from prospective clients that have accounts at Merrill Lynch, Morgan Stanley, Ameriprise, Fidelity, Schwab, Edward Jones. I mean, you name any major uh, brokerage firm in this country that markets on television, print, ad, computer, what have you, follows you all across the internet, we have reviewed these types of portfolios. And over the last 30 plus years of being in business, we just see these very consistent themes recurring again and again and again. 
in prospective clients' portfolios. And we talk about it from time to time during the first hour of the Weekend's Money Wise program throughout the years. But I wanted to dive a little bit deeper into this topic and really pulling the curtain back and talking about the things of what these big Wall Street firms are not going to be telling you as an investor. And as we've said from day one on the Money Wise program is that you always have to dig deeper. You, you cannot take things for face value. You have to have your questions on hand when you're out there interviewing a prospective advisor that you're wanting to work with or if you're already working with an advisor, questions that you need to go back and ask and get these answers. And if you're not receiving proper answers or answers that are just not making you feel very at ease, then maybe it's time for you to take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis to get that second opinion. And that's the purpose for us to be doing the portfolio reviews and analysis that we do and have been doing for the past 30 plus years is to give that second opinion to investors. So one of the first trends and themes that we're constantly seeing from all these major brokerage firms when we do portfolio reviews is portfolios that are just chalked full with a multitude of exchange traded funds, and mutual funds. And when I say chalk full, I can take an example of prospective client's portfolio who is working with Fidelity. And in one account, not only had over 30 exchange-traded funds, but had over 25 mutual funds. So we're talking over 50 individual positions in either mutual funds or exchange-traded funds. And the first question that comes to my my mind is, why? Why do you need so many? Why is this shotgun blast approach where tiny bits of this prospective client's assets were allocated to such a vast, large number of exchange-traded funds and mutual funds? So I think you have to remember about exchange-traded funds, by and large, the exchange-traded funds that we invest in and we see that in these other organizations invest in, uh, they are in in and of themselves diversified investments. They have hundreds of different securities inside, say, an individual exchange-traded fund. Same holds true for mutual funds. They can contain hundreds of different investments. So when you have a portfolio that has 50, 60 different exchange-traded funds and mutual funds, and each one of those exchange-traded funds and mutual funds holds 100-plus securities, well, you can imagine, well, that's it just, if you, each one of them held 100 securities and you had 50 different positions, that would be 5,000 different securities. Now, they don't actually own 5,000 different securities in, in all of these uh, exchange-traded funds and mutual funds combined. What they end up, what ends up happening is, is there is so much overlap when you look at the portfolio in totality. They they might have ten different exchange traded funds and mutual funds that invest in the exact same asset class, which mean me like large cap growth stocks, or small cap growth stocks or mid-cap growth stocks, or value stocks, so on and so on and so on. 
And so at the end, at the end, our opinion is when we see a portfolio like this, to, to us, what it appears is it appears to be marketing more than anything, because it's not really serving the client. It's, it, it's, it's over diversification in names, but it's really over, this is so totally over diversified. It makes no sense to, to design a portfolio this way, except for one reason, and that is marketing. And well, in, in, in the marketing, that also is appearance. Right. To appear as if they're doing more right. in your portfolio than what they actually are. Because at Davidson Capital Management, if you're in our asset builder program where we own nothing but exchange traded funds and no load mutual funds, we don't have 25 different exchange traded funds or mutual funds. You know, there's been times where we've had maybe up to nine, maybe 10, sometimes seven. What we do as portfolio managers, as in-house money managers, as we vet each and every one of the positions, each one of the exchange-traded funds and mutual funds to determine if they're, in our opinion, from our analysis and research, the best of breed for the respective asset class that we want represented in the portfolio at this particular time. And so I want to hold right there and we'll pick up this conversation on the other side of the break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at one 800 275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts, where you can leave your comments, and don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning in for this weekend's MoneyWise program, we're continuing with investor education and talking about what Wall Street won't tell you. And so before we went to break, talking about portfolios that we have reviewed that just have a multitude of exchange-traded funds and mutual funds, a a situation where you get over-diversified in a portfolio, and why these major brokerage firms across the country do this. And in our opinion, it is for marketing. It is to appear as if they're doing more work in a client's portfolio than they actually are. And so before we went to break, I was talking about the process that we go through inside of our asset builder program where we own nothing but uh, no-load mutual funds and exchange-traded funds. And these are for clients that have less than a million dollars of investable assets in one singular account. Now, when we go through our process, we're looking for best of breed. So when we're looking for a large-cap growth manager, we're sending the large-cap growth actively managed no-load mutual fund managers through our gauntlet. They're going through our proprietary process of research and analysis, utilizing our 70-plus years of combined experience here at Davidson Capital Management to find what we consider the best of breed large cap growth manager for that particular asset class period. Not two of them, not three, not six, but the best. Now, once we make a selection of that particular no-load mutual fund for that particular asset class, they will then be continuously vetted to ensure that they're adhering to why we have selected them to be inside of the portfolio for our clients. 
So we're going to be looking at consistency of style. We're going to be looking at the portfolio and the information we can ascertain. What are their top 10 holdings? How concentrated or unconcentrated are they? What holdings do they own? Do we continue to agree with their investment management philosophy? So once we buy this position, it's not just buy and forget it. We're going to be constantly sending it through our gauntlet. And if for some reason it falls out of our criteria through our proprietary system, guess what? They get sold. They get sold. So it's not just buy and hold. We're buying and it's constant homework. Joe, I know you wanted to say something. Well, sure. And I think going through this process and working quite a bit in the 401k space, we have our process already set up to where we know if one of these particular investments are going to be on the watch list. And from time to time, the three of us will put our heads together. But when you have a team approach, you really dive down deep into the, into the particular mutual funds. And one thing you didn't mention, Kyle, or I don't think, is manager tenure. You know, if you have a new manager That's in right. a mutual fund, what does that mean to that particular portfolio? We might watch it temporarily and if it's somebody that's coming on board that's been with the team a while and they're going to take over the day-to-day portfolio management you know we might give them a pass but but also part of the number side of it and we were talking about this uh a couple times in the past is portfolio management is just not numbers there's also it's also art to a certain extent and some funds may do better in a down market than others um and i wanted to bring that up too. I mean, portfolio managers is a combination of multiple things, and that also bodes true with mutual funds and, to a lesser extent, ETFs. But, but, and again, that's where research comes into play. When we go through our research process, we're looking at upside capture. We're looking at downside capture. We're looking at all of these technical and fundamental indicators to determine whether or not we feel that this is going to be the best investment option. But what we have seen from the other big Wall Street firms is, well, let's just shotgun blast and put, let's put six, let's put 10 large cap growth managers. One or two of them have got to hit. One or two of them got to do a good year. Well, what about the rest of your money in the other five or six that are, are not doing well? What, what happens to the overall performance of your portfolio? You know, the other thing you have to determine and figure out, well, what are you actually paying for the multitude of all of these different investment options? If you do have 20, 30, 40 different exchange-traded funds and mutual funds in your portfolio. And we're just seeing this to be occurring more and more as the years have gone on. And I've had conversations with prospective clients that are with very large, very well-known, very reputable money managers where they have been told to their face that human beings do not manage money anymore at these firms. And they allow computers or algorithms to be making the investment decisions that, as you said, Joe, they're trying to equate money management down to numbers, down to technicals. But I hate to tell you, just Joe, just like you said, and this was something that our father taught Jeff and I many, many moons ago, is that managing money is a science, but it's also an art. And here's the thing that you have to remember. Algorithms are computer programs written by human beings. What if those human beings got their scenarios crossed, their math was off, their assumptions were wrong, that that algorithm is worthless. It's absolutely worthless because human beings have to write the actual algorithm. And so what we have seen in these super mega money management firms is they have become victims of their own success, of their own asset gathering to where they physically can't have human beings 
managing money anymore for their clients. And so then you well, as well, they, client, they could, but they the could, problem is the problem is it's profits. That's right. It's profits. It's, it's profits. So the question you have to ask, if you were a client of one of these type firms, what, what am I paying my management fee for if a computer is doing it? So I'm getting charged all these management fees for the internal expenses for the exchange traded funds and the mutual funds. Then I pay a portfolio management fee on top of that. But you're telling me that you're having a computer make the decisions because you're just such a giant super tanker of a money manager. You know, the question I would be asking is what happens if there's a dramatic event in the market? How fast can you move? How fast can you make changes in my portfolio? And they're not going to be able to answer that question and give you a definitive answer. Which leads us to really the most important part of, I think, really the most important part of all this is that the person that you're talking to, the vast majority of the time at the big mega Wall Street firms, the list that you gave in that first segment, Kyle, and others, is the person that you're talking to is not actually the decision maker. The decisions are made someplace else, either by a computer or a human in a computer and you never, you have no relationship with the decision maker. The only relationship you have is with the person that's charged with maintaining the relationship. And so in, in the vast majority of cases, and I have never seen in the history of us doing portfolio reviews, I've never seen any of those Wall Street firms beat us in terms of management fees, overall cost to the client. So if, if we're, if our, if our value proposition at Davidson Capital Management is you get to actually speak with the people that are actually making every single investment decision and doing it for less than the big Wall Street houses in much more focused portfolios. You know, our, fo- our portfolios are laser focused. The shotgun approach the shotgun approach is like putting five quarterbacks on the field at the same time or putting five pitchers on the mound at the same time. <laughs> you don't do that. What do you do? You put your best players on the field. You got a bench, but you also have the best players on the field at the right time. You don't, you don't buy 10 different large cap stock ETFs and mutual funds and put them in the portfolio. That makes no sense whatsoever. Pick the best one. That's what you put in the portfolio. Why can't the big Wall Street houses with all their people and all their computers and all their, uh, all the things they have at their disposal research? Why, why do they have to build a portfolio where they, where, where they shotgun approach everything? Yes, Kyle. I- I can answer part of that question because of proprietary relationships they have with the outside mutual fund managers and exchange traded fund providers and the revenue sharing agreements that they have. Why charge your client a one and a quarter percent management fee where you can charge them one and a quarter percent management fee, then invest their money in a mutual fund that charges another one percent, and then that manager of that 1% mutual fund kicks back to you another quarter of 1%. And now you're charging your client, you're making even more money off of one client because of the kickbacks and the proprietary relationships that they have. So then as if you're a client of these types of firms, 
you have to ask yourself, are the players on my field the best players? Or are they the players that pay the biggest kickbacks to the firm that, that I work with? So then the firm that you're working with, you have to think, how objective are they in their investment making or portfolio design process when they're getting paid X number of dollars from this outside mutual fund manager or this outside exchange traded fund manager? Are they truly objective? And I can answer that question right now. The answer is absolutely not. They are not objective when they're getting revenues shared with them. Well, let's take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts, where you can leave your comments, and don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning in this weekend's Money Wise program, going into investor education, and really this second hour, we're talking about what Wall Street won't tell you. And so before we went to break, we're talking about the lack of objectivity that we have seen, in our opinion, over the last 30-plus years of being in business with these mega large Wall Street firms from the Merrill Lynch's, the Edward Joneses of the world to the Ameriprises, proprietary relationships, meaning revenue sharing that they are receiving from outside mutual fund managers, from outside exchange traded fund managers, that clouds the objectivity of the firm that an investor is working with to ensure that these particular investments find their way in your portfolio. But the question you have to ask yourself, were these the best choices? Was this the best of breed? Yeah, Joe. Well, sure. Kyle, dovetailing on what you're talking about, and just the other week, I was reviewing a, looking at a particular firm, and one thing we do is, yes, we research our investments. But we also research our competitors. We also look at their ADV Part 2, other disclosures. But if they are using proprietary mutual funds, a lot of times – the, the point is, what is Wall Street not telling you? Well, that firm, generally speaking, has to tell you, and it actually said there in black and white, there's a conflict of interest because this particular firm is using their own proprietary funds, and it's disclosed in black and white. So you can actually pull back the curtain on Wall Street, but you have to know how to do your own research on this. And, and most individual investors won't. You can go to broker check. You can type in the name of the firm that you working with that you're thinking about working with and you can go into their ADV part two through the SEC website to be able to research what potential conflicts of interest what other proprietary relationships they have I know of one particular firm that has commercials all the time they actually disclose how much in revenue they're receiving on an annual basis from these outside firms and so it it's no surprise that when we do portfolio reviews of prospective clients that are working with this particular firm, why we typically see the top three mutual fund families that provide the biggest amount of revenue 
to this firm as the only three mutual fund families that show up in a portfolio. And, and, and again, this is, this is what should really be raising question marks above anyone's head that is working with these large firms. And then you also have to ask yourself, why am I working with these larger firms? Does a larger firm that have the marble columns, as dad calls it, the fancy, you know, the fancy offices, the big name brands, the huge marketing campaigns and all the commercials and what have you, does that provide a higher level of comfort to you? as an investor, a higher level of security. I mean, that is what they are relying on. This is why they do it. They're relying on their marketing and their fancy offices and all the sharp dressed folks that work for them to, to, to create this sense of security when what they're doing in the portfolios from our reviews and analysis, isn't anything to write home to mom about. It's the, we're big. And so we must be good if we're this big. Yeah. Yeah. It just means they're bigger, great marketers. Bigger, bigger doesn't mean better. Bigger just means they, they spend more money on marketing. That's right. They're bigger asset gatherers. And, you know, we've utilized the Money Wise program to educate for the last 16-plus years, to educate investors, to warn them. You know, we'll, we, we will make 10 investment decisions. Six to seven of them will work. Three to four of them won't. We're not saying that we're the end-all, be-all money manager, but the one thing that the, the multiple things that we are, it's transparent, completely honest and ethical. And as far as from a fee standpoint, there is not another firm on the street that can touch us when it comes to the management fees that we've charged. We have 100%. no conflicts of interest. And we don't zero have any revenue sharing. No one pays us to own any of their investments. All the investments are vetted and put into and, and, and client money is invested in it based on the merits of that particular investment, not based on any sort of revenue sharing agreement that, that we, that we don't have with anybody and never have had and never will have. Yes, Joe. Yeah, well, Joe. I, one of the things we're talking about it, really about proprietary relationships with mutual funds in mutual funds, ETFs, but the one thing that we always emphasize is that as asset allocation. And when you have a down market or you have a correction or during the pandemic uh, or during the financial crisis, your first line of defense is what? And we all know what this is. It's asset allocation, right? Individual uh, equity act- select. Active asset allocation. Correct. So my point being is if you are interviewing an advisor at a particular firm, and there are some that are out there that do their own research, Ask them, do they create their own asset allocation models? Are they going with what the firm recommends? That's a very, that's a question you need to ask. And if that's the case, that's great. Ask them, okay, when was the last time you made a decision on a particular mutual fund or ETF or separately managed account that's, that, that's in that allocation? So well, getting I, it is, that's a big part of, of the investment management process and active versus passive management is who's doing the allocations. Well, and, and you brought up a point because – Yes, we're talking about all the major firms out there, and there are still some diamonds in the rough. There are still some traditional stockbrokers on the financial sales side of the business that deal, that still do their own security selections, that do manage their own portfolios. There, there are. They're few and far between, but there are. But your line of questioning, Joe, is absolutely dead on. Where are you finding your research? 
because if they are selecting their own securities, whether it's mutual funds, exchange traded funds, or individual stocks, where are you getting your research? That is a great question to ask. If they're just getting the research from the firm that employs them, is that truly objective? I mean, I could bore our listeners with the multi-layered process, our proprietary process that we go through in vetting every single security that we select at Davidson Capital Management, but I don't want, especially if people are listening to the show driving, I don't want to put them to sleep and cause any accidents. But when we go and do our research, we're getting our information from a multitude of different sources, not you know, not, not to also exclude our own proprietary screening process of 44 points of screens that we have put into place. Screen one, 22 points. Screen two, an additional 22 points to vet our list of individual stocks when, when we're owning individual stocks. And then we cross-reference that from a multitude of other research firms, not just one not just our custodian who's Schwab, we look at a multitude of different ones. And so that is another important question to ask. If you do work with an advisor that is actively selecting their own securities, but then to follow up if they are doing that selection is when was the last time you made changes in your portfolio? What is your performance track record? How old and long is that performance track record? Well, one thing when we're doing research and we use databases to input when we're doing a portfolio review, it's kind of interesting because there are some prospective clients that a year and a half ago have have put everything into the software, put all their positions, all our asset allocations, and then maybe a year later or a year and a half later, they haven't come on board as a client yet. And I'll say, hey, can you give me that, that statement from that portfolio they reviewed a year and a half ago? If the allocations are the same, and the securities are the same, and they're charging you 1% or more, you really got to look yourself in the mirror and go, what am I doing? You know, I, and I've, I've seen it multiple times. That is not active management. That is a portfolio that is put together on hope and prayer. And, and from a, a, a scientific versus, you know, science versus art perspective, you look set at it. Yeah, set it and forget yep. it is not a long-term successful investment strategy. And we certainly saw this in the financial crisis of 08, 09, uh, where we met with prospective clients that had monies invested with the big Wall Street firms. And when, when a client tells you, well, I lost 40%, 50% in, in 2008, well, I know two things that happened. One, there was far too much money invested in stocks in that particular portfolio and two no one was managing anything to have lost that much money and that's what the vast i think the vast majority of the uh, of the wall street firms uh count on the statistic that the market's going to be up 80 percent of the time that's just what the statistics say 74 percent but close okay 74 percent since 1926 and so they, they play the probabilities. We just stay invested all the time. Yeah. We, we, we very rarely sell. We very rarely reallocate. We just, we're, we're always Final. in it for the long, we're long-term investors, quote unquote. <clears throat> and so the, the other 26% of the time when the markets are down, every once in a while, you'll have a 30% down year. 
It's very rare, but they're out there. Most of the time it's down five, down 10, whatever. But the point of the matter is, is there's no active management occurring. And really the key to long-term successful investment management is not necessarily beating the S&P when you have years like when you have back-to-back or back years of up markets. It's keeping your hole shallow when the markets are down. That's where a real active management comes into play. Yeah, because remember, you lose 50% of the value of your portfolio. You have to make 100% just to get back to where you started. And I want to pick up on that point on the other side of the break. So let's do that now. Let's take our next break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys. You can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send our emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts, where you can comment and don't forget to like the show. So in our last segment of this weekend's Money Wise program and wrapping up our investor education on what Wall Street won't tell you, and right before we went to break, we were talking about what, what, what we truly believe what builds and maintains long-term wealth. It's not capturing every percentage gain in up years. It's keeping your hole shallower in down years, playing a great defense. That is the best long-term strategy for offense. So we were talking about all the major brokerage firms of every name brand that you could think of that has commercials and print ads, what have you, going through situations like the financial crisis or even going back to the dot-com bubble bursting. As Jeff said in the last segment, when the stock market 74% of the time since 1926 has had positive returns, when we have those abnormal years where we're down, have a 30% down year, like during the financial crisis, or have dramatic, long, protracted pullbacks in the market, brokerage firms are just going to say, stay the course. Just stay the course. You don't want to make any adjustments. You don't want to make any changes. Well, we would recommend, yeah, you don't go 100% to cash. We would agree with every Wall Street firm in existence. You never go 100% cash because that is a failed strategy. But playing a great defense with a proper allocation, active asset management, very stringent proprietary security screening process, and keeping that hole shallower allows you to recover that much faster. Because let's say you go down 50% and you need 100% to get back to where you started. And to get to that 100%, it's going to take the next two to three years to get there. Well, what if your portfolio was only down 15% and then you were able to get back in at a lower price with the cash that was raised because there was active management and you played active defense, your portfolio would be far ahead of a portfolio that just was static during this downturn and didn't play defense. Another reason why Wall Street doesn't pay defense is because of revenues. Absolutely right. Because if they if, if they were to reduce securities in, a, in an investor's portfolio and go to cash for a period of time, those that that 
those securities that were sold would not be generating any revenue sharing for the firm because they would no longer be in the portfolio. And we saw that a lot with one particular firm, which I'm not going to name, that has a lot of revenue sharing agreements. Uh, but that's that's probably the biggest reason why Wall Street doesn't sell when 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 times get you know capitalism the nature of capitalism is there's going to be booms and then there's going to be periods where things are very quiet flat if you will and then sometimes they're busts that's just the nature of capitalism and so in the bust times if wall street who's who would already be suffering because it was bust times would go in and start selling in mass securities out of their clients' portfolios. Remember it's buy low, sell high. If they did that, then they would also be cutting their own throats and reducing their revenues even more. And so they don't. And that's why we time and time again, we hear in the when we the tough times, there will be tough times again. There always are. We'll see these same folks in our offices telling us their story. Well, you know, we were doing so well for so long. And that's the other thing. You know, people get complacent. Investors get complacent when the markets do well for extended period of times. They don't care about revenue sharing. They don't care about way too many. They they don't care about management fees. They don't care about the, the, the excess number of securities in their portfolio. They don't care about how they vote have 10 large cap mutual funds in their portfolio and 20 small cap mutual funds in their portfolio, because every month I'm getting a statement and it's going higher and I'm making more money and I got a big smile on my face and you get complacent. But then when it turns, it's like you come visit, you know, someone like Davidson capital and we look at the portfolio. So, well, here's the reason why the portfolio failed so miserably in the down markets for this, 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 and this. Oh, and by the way, you're paying this for all of this, this failed strategy. And people are like, wow, I wish I'd have known this. I wish I'd have heard you earlier. I wish I'd have heard if this we had segment. A dollar, if we had a dollar for every time we have heard that over the last 30 plus years, and we hear it all the time. And so our recommendation would be to save yourself the grief, not getting complacent, as we have always said, and take this right from Joe, stealing your thunder, Joe, knowing what you own. Well, if, if you don't truly know what you own, you don't truly know what your asset allocation model looks like, you don't know how much you're paying, you don't know if it's being actively managed, this is why we offer portfolio reviews and analysis to prospective clients to get a second opinion from a team of portfolio managers that have over 70 years of combined experience that truly manage money in-house, that do our own research, that select our own securities. And oh, by the way, we haven't said it this whole segment, we eat our own cooking, meaning we personally own the same securities our clients own. So you can bet that they've been vetted to an inch of their life because if they're going to be going into my portfolio or Jeff's or to Joe's, they're darn good enough to be in our clients' portfolios and they're going to be properly managed. So save yourself the grief before that downturn or on the other side of a downturn when you've lost 20, 25, 30% of your nest egg's net worth because you felt that, well, I was with so-and-so firm. They're so well-known. They've been around for 70 or 80 years. 
they have hundreds of billions of dollars under management. They're supposed to be good because I hear about them all the time. What, why did they not perform for me? And this is what happens. They're great asset gatherers. They're great victims, marketers. Great marketers. They're the victims of their own success at asset gathering to where they can no longer truly actively manage money hands-on and leave it up to a computer algorithm that was also written by a human being that could have a lot of different failed strategies in that algorithm and wind, and who winds up becoming the victim of all of this? You, the investor. This is why we do portfolio reviews, to peel, to pull that curtain back and to tell you and to teach you and let you know about the things that Wall Street won't tell you. With that, we're coming up to the end of this weekend's Money Wise program. Again, if you'd like to give us a call, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. You can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, subscribe to the Money Wise podcast on Apple Podcasts. And with that, for Jeff... Our good man, Joe, is Kyle Davidson wanting to thank you for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. And to your financial health, we will talk to you next week.